0: You're listening to a session of Come Celebrate, hosted by the Bay Christian Family Church. And I want to talk to you tonight, if I may. And when they talk, I hear people address this crowd continually as family. I hope you understand the value of even saying that. We are more family of each other than your unsaved family, natural family. It's a very real thing. If you're visiting here tonight, uh, you're welcome. You're very welcome amongst friends. If you ever became part of this family, you'd be family, you'd be safe. We're a family, we take it very seriously. And I want to share with the family about the Holy Spirit tonight. From a, I'm from a Jewish family, and so I've only in the last 10 years realized that Jews look at things very differently because we grow up with a whole different culture and, uh, and approach to the Word of God. And I want to tell you about the Holy Spirit. For the Jews... When Jesus came, he was already revolutionary, completely different. He was so revolutionary with his gospel and the good news that John the Baptist, who had spent his entire life and every ounce of his strength preparing the way for Jesus, which means to get the Jews ready to be accountable and sensitive enough to God to get a chance to recognize the Savior. And after all that, after working that hard, prophesying, proclaiming, recognizing, giving up some of his own disciples to Jesus. At the end of his life, he's in prison and sends word with one of his own disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? He began to wonder because the message of Christ, the good news was so revolutionary. Then Jesus came and induced another revolutionary input and change to the world. And he said, I will not leave you alone. He said, I will send you the Holy Spirit. Now, my question is, but the Holy Spirit's been here. That all these prophets, they would function in the Holy Spirit. Elisha even sent for a minstrel so that the Spirit of God would come upon him. Jesus himself had the Holy Spirit inside of him. John the Baptist received the Spirit inside his mother's womb. And so, so many people, we can see the evidence. So what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean I will send you the Holy Spirit? And as I've gotten older and more insightful with this word, I realize celebrate, clap our hands for the wind that blows. We can't see the wind, but we see what it does. We see what the Holy Spirit does amongst us, and we celebrate that. But this owes so much more to the Holy Spirit than that. From what I understand, he's more than just that. He's the actual person. If he said, I won't leave you alone, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he is going to lead you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He's somebody, something that'll speak to you. And so he tells his disciples when he's leaving, go and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come. He didn't tell them how to recognize that because they're familiar with what, when the wind blows, the effect of the wind. So they had some familiarity with the Holy Spirit, but they were not prepared for what was about to happen. And so my question is, he said, I will not leave you alone, but he left after 40 days and nights of being on earth, having been resurrected. He spent 40 days and nights on the earth before he left. And then it was only 10 days later that we had the record of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So what happened in 10 days? How come you said you wouldn't leave them alone, but there was 10 days that they were? There was no Holy Ghost. There was no Jesus. What was that about? And it seems to me that the Holy Ghost came. The moment Jesus went up and went to the heavenlies, he sent the Holy Spirit and he was sent to the church. And so he went to Jerusalem as... Jesus instructed him, and he looked for the church. But there was this Christian there, and that Christian there, and that Christian there. And so they weren't gathering until the Feast of Pentecost. Then they came together, not for the Holy Ghost, they came together for the feast. So I'm wondering, had they come together every day that he may have come sooner it's almost like when Sh- shaviot pentecost came and they began to pray and celebrate god on this feast the holy ghost oh here they are hundred found the church and then he came and breathed like a wind onto them and little tongues of fire began to appear a most phenomenal occurrence for those who've not been to israel This upper room that they used for Last Supper and other events was also the room that the church gathered in. The group used this room frequently, and it's literally right next door to the tomb of King David. And so, when a festival would come, people would go, they do as they do today, it's almost like a synagogue. They go and pray, and they they give homage or whatever you want to call it. They honor King David. He's such a phenomenal key in the history of the nation. And so that's right there to where they would hear these people speaking in tongues. And so that's why they said, are these not Galileans speaking our language? You could tell a Galilean. They had an accent. People have accents. People can hear in Cape Town when you're from the Cape or when you're from some other part in Africa, they can hear where you different accents. And they heard, a, even Jesus spoke with an accent. He had different words he used. He was influenced by that, that dialect up there of a Syrian language, which he used the word Abba, Father, because Abba means, and it says in your brackets in your Bible, Father, because it's not a Hebrew word, it's an Assyrian word, as was the word when he said that it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than through a camel, through the eye of a needle. The word camel in Aramaic, is actually rope. The same word, the same spelling. It's the rope to the eye, it makes much more sense than a camel. But that's just cultural. They understood each other very well. They didn't need to explain it. They understood those cultural things. So now... On the day of Pentecost, they, they hear these guys speaking, these Galileans speaking our language because they came from all over the world, the Jews with different businesses in Greece and Thessalonica. They came to celebrate and they would hear their language. It was absolutely an amazing outpouring, supernatural. 3,000 people got saved in one day. Even Jesus didn't have that result. 3,000 people one day. They were converted, changed instantly. How did you find 3,000 people? There was the city of Jerusalem is very small, narrow streets. Where, did they, where were they? Where, how, there's no space big enough to house 3,000 people there. So where in the world did you find 3,000 unless it was in the temple itself up there on the platform? It's very strange to imagine something like that. But the Holy Ghost was moving. And every day it was so profoundly super. Natural. Now, I want you to understand, and if I read from the book of Acts chapter 2, if you'll read with me too in verse 42, the, it says and they, the, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Jesus did more teaching than anything else, Jesus himself, more than miracles, more than anything else. He taught, 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 didn't stop teaching. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Prayer. William Branham prophesied in 1950 that there'd be a revival of worship in the latter part of the last century. And we really had a breakthrough with Hillsong and different people writing songs all over the world. A lot of worship music. But William Branham said that they would praise a God they didn't pray to. It always disturbed me that we have a great difficulty praying. And Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us not how to pray, but to pray. Teach us to pray. So he gave them a small formula, and he told them different principles of persistence and expectancy. If you knock, it shall be opened. Ask, it shall receive. And then he ends his teaching by saying these words, which of you? ungodly parents give your children a snake when he asks for bread. Recognize that scripture? How much more your Father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit? And that's all to do with the teaching of prayer because we need the Holy Ghost to pray because he will empower us to pray. That's what John the Baptist and Jesus did differently with a prayer. They prayed with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seemed to nestle in with the life of the disciples, for example, you'll find in Acts chapter 10, you'll find Peter on the roof praying. And he has a sheet like object come down when he's just so hungry, and they're preparing the meal downstairs in Joppa on this roof. And this sheet like object, the voice speaks to him and he says, No, Lord, three times. Then when this goes away, Now we have a whole different mode of communication. Then the Spirit spoke to him. And it seemed like they were very familiar with the interaction of the person of the Holy Spirit. Even in Acts 20, Paul says, I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I can relate to the evidence of that sense. And you know it's the Holy Ghost. But then he says, in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me. So it seems like there's a recognition of the working and the manifest and the talking of the Holy Spirit. Looking to the church history in the last 2,000 years, what we call revival, awakening, renewal, all have two things in common. The one is sect. Sacrificial prayer, which means prayer that costs you something, costs you getting up early in the morning, costs you going to pray before you work, costs you having to go to the building. You know, there's a cost involved and you may say, well, I watch church online and I get so much so easily fed like that. That may be true, but there's no cost of getting in your car, getting dressed, coming to church, and that's very appealing to the Lord. And the same with prayer, that when we start sacrificing and making a real effort to pray, God is moved by the sacrifice and the earnestness of prayer. That's the one thing I found common in every movement of God. And the other thing is the attitude towards the Holy Spirit. It seems like they would welcome Him as a person and give Him time to talk. We in our churches, and I've been guilty of it myself many times, is when we get up behind the pulpit, we run a program. We have worship, we have offering, we have time schedule. It's laid out clearly for us how things are going to flow. And we don't always give time or space for the Holy Ghost to do whatever He chooses. In fact, if there's quiet, when I had a church and I pastored, if there was a quiet spot I thought I had to run up and get behind the pulpit as quick as I can and keep the program going. And of course, uh, I was in Hatfield for years with Pastor Ed, and he had that habit of just waiting. Uh, just to make me crazy, and until I saw the Holy Ghost move. Then I realized, he's on to something. We had a ministry microphone in our church up in Pretoria. And we, you know, when you have 7,000 seats and you fill the church up three times, you have to have a little order. And so we had a pastor on duty, 28 pastors, and if you had a psalm or a scripture or a prophecy, you came and you spoke to the pastor while the worship was on, and they would pick you and let you sit in that row, and you would see during the worship that row would fill up. And then when the worship was done, the ministry microphone would be opened up, and the pastor that's there on duty would pick two or three people and send them up. And one person came one time, and he told Pastor Ed Raper, he said, I feel I'm supposed to blow in the microphone. I went, oh, no. Don't do it, Pastor Ed. Don't do it. Don't do it. Crazy person. Crazy person in the house. And I, don't, I never could understand Pastor Ed's ways, but he said, okay. <laughs> what? What? And he let him blow in the microphone. I almost died a thousand. My wife was with me. We were sitting in the back of the church. And I almost died a thousand deaths. And it was this eerie quiet and he didn't bother past Ed his arms are folded looking up to the heavens and just waited and I okay okay can we go to the next thing hello this is embarrassing and five minutes maybe seven eight minutes and someone at the back let out such a scream and then it all broke loose there was no preaching that night I mean to tell you the Holy Ghost moved and I learned that you've got to give a little space and take a little chance sometimes For the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you why I'm telling you all this. The Lord spoke to me not long ago and told me there's an awakening coming in His church. And the church will grow and become very visible, but only half the church would be the real thing. The other half will deny the power. So I said, Oh, yeah, they won't welcome the Holy Ghost. He said, No, they'll have all the manifestations. That's not the real power, but the devil can counterfeit it all. So I was bewildered. I asked, what is the real power? I must be losing. This is recently, this last past year. So he said to me, the real power of the Holy Ghost is in the transformation of lives. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I was like, what? And he explained to me that when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of a person that's truly truly born-again experience. You are so transformed. No one has to counsel, deliver you. <sniffs> Instantly, you are changed. And I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. You've seen how people have been turned completely around. It was the power of the Holy Ghost. And we need a little more of the Holy Ghost. We do. The supernatural. Where the supernatural manifests, there's no stars. Now you feel my power? Now you don't. Blow and then half the people fall. None of that is life-changing. I thank God for the awakening that came or the wave that went through the church in the 90s and people laughing on the floor. Thank God for that. But in my observation, the people that laughed and cra- acted crazy on the floor got up and they were the same people they were when they went down. I saw no changes myself. But then I've seen people get saved or touched by the Holy Ghost, being years in church, and suddenly the Holy Ghost gets a hold of them and they change completely. And my soul longs for the Holy Ghost to take over the church. And I'm not bringing this because I've got nothing else to preach. I have so many teachings that they fight to get in. But this has been burning in my heart for this church because this church has got everything else, everything. You cannot complain, there's not a full diet in this house. But God wants to unleash the supernatural. And I mean unleash it. I want to carry on reading that one portion that's very moving to me, the church. And I said, Lord, we could use a little like that in the church. I'll start again with verse 42. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Not whining, complaining, and criticizing. Not being a policeman trying to analyze and find fault with something. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together. All the believers were together, and had everything in common. We didn't have to teach an offering. An offering is really, thank God for that. And I really want to ask you, as my own, ch- as if you my own children, I want you to leave this building tonight and start expecting money to come in. If you think that your salary is your income, you'll never give God the chance. To bless you. He has sources and resources that you cannot dream of. I'm a living testimony of that God can supply and bless and do extraordinary things. And my heart yearns, craves, like a father for his children, that everyone in this room prospers, that every one of you experienced, educated, uneducated, struggling, seen such calamities, see the blessing of God that'll overtake you. Make rich and add no sorrow, because God can. The Bible says they sold property, as we heard tonight, and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. There was a real sharing going on. Every day they continued. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Holy Ghost came and it concentrated all in one spot. The entire Holy Spirit that was coming to the earth was focused in one place. There was so much supernatural, so much supernatural that the miracles were daily and extraordinary. Now listen to me. You must stay with me to understand what I'm going to tell you. And because it was so deeply concentrated and it was taking the town, the city by storm, was a couple that saw their friends sell everything all their businesses and was so absolutely taken in with this new sect this Nazarene sect this new fad and they were meeting every game church they were so they could tell they were so happy and, and there was joy and they were bubbling and they wanted this too but they hadn't gotten saved so they sold their stuff and they thought this is what I must do and they kept half their money And they pretended that they were Christians to get part of that club. And the anointing killed them. Uh, Christians will tell you that it was God's judgment. It was not God's judgment. Jesus put his blood in the mercy seat. There's no judgment until he comes back. It was the anointing was so intense that it killed them because they came with darkness and deceit. Now let me explain to you. Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant with every intention to steady it from falling, and it killed him. Was God mad? Was God judging him? No, there was so much glory, he wasn't designed for that glory. In fact, 2 Corinthians 2 says that we are a fragrance of life to those being saved and a fragrance of death to those not. One fragrance, two effects. One fragrance. How does that work? Well, when you got saved, The people in your family that were excited about your salvation and happy for you, they started prospering, even the unsaved ones. And then those that kept making fun of you and mocking at your Christianity, stuff happened to them. Because the fragrance began to work for those that celebrated you, life to one and death to the other. It's so real that Jesus in his kindness, while in immense pain, says, Father, have mercy on this man. He doesn't know what he's doing. While they were nailing him to the cross. Because he realized that his fragrance would kill that man. Wanted him a chance to get saved. Do you understand what I'm telling you? That And the more anointing. The stronger and more intense it gets. The more positive it gives. Also the more negative effect it will have. And that's what happened in Ananias and Sapphira. They came at the very pinnacle of enormous glory. Because people were getting saved all the time. And getting healed and delivered. It was amazing. Every day. All day. And they came with darkness in their heart and that killed them. Now it doesn't happen that much today because and this is what I'm trying to tell you is, one puts a thousand to flight and two 10,000. So the enemy in his clever experience has tried to bring division. Because when we come into agreement, there's enormous power. And so his conscience come to steal, divide, and destroy. If you can keep us divided, keep dividing us, There's some in this room that not this moment I feel complete peace here, but I could feel it during the the conference. There were those that came to criticize and those that had different intentions in their hearts and it brings crossfire. And that's how the enemy plants a seed. If I can just sow a seed of something inside of you to bring division. Jesus prayed five times, five times in John 17, the same prayer, Father, make them one as we are one. Because there's real power in unity. If two or three will agree, two or three, just two or three will agree as touching anything. I haven't seen that work too often. It means we have a difficulty in real agreement. If you watch anyone, even a married couple, argue, listen to how they argue. It's not about what they want to achieve. They just want to prove that they're right. And the spirit of Christ is, doesn't matter who's right. What matters is we reconcile them and we're united. Let me be wrong, I'll be wrong, for the sake of reconciliation. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And so what I'm telling you as family of God, you've been fed, so well fed, but I want to introduce you to another concept of allowing the Holy Spirit person to become more frequent here, to become more allowable to do what he wants to do, and an expectancy for that. I want to invite you to pursue the Holy Spirit as a person, and the supernatural if you don't speak in tongues it's not because you don't have faith it's not because you don't you're not righteous enough or you're not a good enough person none of that is applicable the only thing stopping you speaking in tongues is your intellect because your brain is programmed to bring language out and this doesn't come from your brain it comes from inside. Paul says, I will pray with my understanding and I'll pray with my spirit. I will sing with my understanding and I will sing with my spirit. So they're very opposite. So you can be praying in the spirit and thinking something completely different because it's the spirit. And so when you pray in tongues, the devil will stop you and say, hey, you're making that up. You're just saying what they're saying. You're saying the same word over and over and he'll try and stop you because he's afraid. He's afraid that you kick into that gear of praying in tongues, you become a troublemaker. So if you don't speak in tongues, please don't sit there long after this time and not get someone to help pray you through. To get, or if you get in that car of yours and you've prayed one word, just one word, then you keep saying that word and you keep making that devil mad until it flows like a river. Because I am telling you, it's the power of God. On the day of Pentecost, there wasn't some that spoke in tongues. All of them, every one of them spoke in tongues. It's not hard. It's a free gift to anyone But we need that power. And when you don't know how to pray, the Spirit will pray through you. It's the most wonderful thing, most comforting, most helpful to switch into tongues and it just helps in every situation you can imagine. It is what God gave you. He never told the disciples to take notes when he was teaching. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had come. And this church has the top, top-notch teachers of the world here, right here. You have integrous leadership. One thing we need now to take it to that supernatural level. Let's welcome the Holy Ghost as a person in this house, every service we have. Let's invite him and give him a chance to flow. And if some crazy things happen, you know Jesus said, do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Jesus said those, not those words. What he said was, strain out the gnats. And don't swallow the camel. That's the actual words of Jesus, which mean don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Strain out the gnats, don't swallow the camel. So when someone acts crazy, let's not stumble over that. Let's just say, bless you, brother or sister, and carry on. Let the Holy Ghost come. Can you say amen to that? Thank you for listening to this session of Come Celebrate. We hope you enjoyed.